This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Great to be here again. Always a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Big Uh, episode, Ren. Big episode. Big episode. New financial year, and look who's back in town. (laughs) Zip and Sezzle, best two performers. Here we go. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Can't believe you still got your eyes on those stocks. (laughs) Anyway, that's not what we're talking about in this episode, but Ren's obviously got them on his dashboard. Today, we're going to be covering off our thoughts on the core aspects of um, of our portfolios, and then we're going to turn to the satellite part. Uh, we think we found the world's worst investor. We're going to touch on that. Streaming stocks have been punished. Is there an opportunity emerging there? And then is Australia losing its perfect inflation hedge? And no, it's not gold. No, or Bitcoin. Or Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) And no, the world's worst investor is not Gus in our ASX share market league (laughs) who managed to turn 50K into 25K. And no, it's not me picking a stock at the start of the year. (laughs) Yeah, true, true. Uh, So stay tuned to find out who that may be. But let's kick things off with thoughts on the core portfolio, Ren. Yeah, those, uh, those out there that are indexing away, they've got a strategy, putting money into a broad-based portfolio of index funds. What, what, where, where is your head at with this? Well, you, last week you came on the pod and told me that you're sick of uh, the RBA making bad decisions. Yeah. I'm coming on the pod this week to tell you I'm sick of thinking about the RBA. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just was reflecting on... Uh, where I'm spending my thinking time, I guess, as an investor. And that's why we've sort of split this into core and satellite because this is an opportunity where satellite should be dominating 
all of our thinking should be dominating my thinking because there's opportunities, so many opportunities at the moment and it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking about all this macro stuff and I'm sick of it. Mm-hmm. Interest rates, inflation, commodity prices, like, you know, is a recession coming? When's a recession coming? How deep is it going to be? And I've just stopped and reflected on when, when we talk about core, when we talk about like dollar cost averaging into index funds, does any of this shit matter? Can I swear on this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) We've had worse. (laughs) And it's like the thesis around dollar cost averaging into an S&P 500 index fund. Everyone knows that in the decades or years that you're dollar cost averaging into an index fund, there will be recessions. There will be market falls. That is, you go in eyes open about that. So why am I spending so much time thinking about it now? (laughs) Like core for me when I started investing and when I continued investing is all about setting and forgetting. It's not contingent on if oil is over a hundred dollars a barrel. So why am I spending time thinking about the price of oil today when I'm thinking about when I'm going to invest in index funds? Because we run a media business in finance. <laughs> no, I totally understand. I, I get it, and and you're right. It's pr- it's probably not. Uh, it's not worth the the brain power to be sitting there thinking about what what does it matter if oil's below from a core portfolio point of view. Is that going to change how much you're putting in on a fortnightly basis into your exactly S and P five hundred? Probably not. Yeah, I don't know. Is it? Well, yeah, and you say like because we run a media vis- business, but we still have a finite amount of like there's an opportunity cost with what we talk about on this yeah, show. We've got 40 minutes on this. We generally speak for an hour. <laughs> um, we've got, I don't know, three or four Instagram posts a day. There's an opportunity cost there. Every time we speak about commodity prices, we're not speaking about an individual stock. Yeah, yeah. I generally agree with you. We'll unpack whether or not the same sort of sentiment carries across into your satellite if you're not thinking about the, the macro stuff from it and then how that translates to a satellite perspective. Does it change at all the capital that you're deploying at the moment? Like, do you think about that at all? In terms of, in terms of that, like, core dollar cost averaging into index yeah, funds? Yeah, yeah. Do you not like, really, do you no. like if, you know, if X is happening in the macro space, then I anticipate that that we might not be, you know. No, because I feel like every time we try and time the market, every time- I mean, the amount of times you call the bottom in the office (laughs) (laughs) on a weekly basis. I'm just trying to keep morale up, you know. It's not helping. People have quit uh, professional uh, like jobs to come and work with us and they started working in the market tax. All I've I've learned from the last few months is that when you call the bottom, we're not there. Well, am I calling the bottom now? No. Well, well, you can call whatever you can call whatever you want. Um, no. So, look, I am obviously interested in the broader economy for a number of reasons outside of my investing strategy, and it matters. Obviously, um, interest rates, inflation, all of that stuff is going to have flow on effects throughout the economy. From an investing standpoint, I'm trying to reallocate my thinking time away from trying to forecast these macro predictions because the value of them is pretty low, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think that the type of investing doesn't uh, relate or sort of have a a good crossover with um, macro investing, if that makes sense. Like you're investing in index funds. Anyway, it's not like you're a Ray Dalio taking out like... Yeah, but all Ray Dalio does is invest in index funds as well. <laughs> true, true. We covered that last week. Does the same approach carry across to your satellite? 
portfolio, you know, commodity prices, that sort of stuff, does that weigh a little bit heavier on what you're buying from an individual point of view? A little bit, but I'm not exactly running into, like I don't own any oil stocks and oil has obviously done really well, but for me, the writing is on the wall longer term. Like there will always be demand for oil. Oil stocks will always have a place in the economy, but the demand now compared to the demand in 15 years, I think directionally we all know where it's going. So that doesn't really excite me as a, when I'm trying to think long term about investment opportunities in the future. So does the oil, price of oil affect a lot of these investments? Not not really, not like long-term theses. It obviously, at this point, there's a lot more opportunity and like some prices are looking pretty juicy. Um, so I've been putting money to work, but again, like not because of macro factors, because of the companies that I like and what they're doing and what why I believe in them or have a thesis around them. The macro has just given us a pricing opportunity. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think the types of companies though that are going to be successful over the next few years is a different set than it was? No. When do you? Nah. Well, from a stock market perspective, potentially, but from a from an underlying business, I don't. I think in ten years' time, no. I think like take away the euphoria of the last two years, where like we everyone fell into the trap of like stupid business models and. Um, things that didn't make a lot of sense, the companies that were the best companies or that had the best long-term prospects in 2019 probably aren't that different to the best company. The companies have the best long-term prospects in 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Co- long-term I think is the key there. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, um, I think what I've been thinking about, it's just, um, we haven't experienced this before personally, uh, it's inflation rising at the speed it has and, you know, fears of recessions and blah, blah, blah. I mean, we've, we've had recessions, but um, what impact that's going to have on some of that sort of discretionary spend companies, even the Spotify's, those, those companies that people spend a bit of their discretionary income on, really looking forward to the upcoming earnings seasons to see how it all starts to play out. If there's an impact now, will it be in the next six months? Mm. Those, sorts of, mm. those sorts of things is what I'm sort of thinking about. Yeah. 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 There's merit in macro forecasts, but I think that the key thing is it, it shouldn't be the focus. The focus should be the next step, which is like what are the individual companies that I can profit from in this time? Yeah. 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 That's your opinion. There could be some people out there who- I, unless, you're, unless you're investing as a- if, if you invest in individual stocks, that should be your opinion. Mm. Yeah. If you're investing like uh, in macro, if you're a top-down investor investing in macro trends, yeah. or you're investing in individual stocks because of top-down factors, yeah. you know, like you're you're getting broad exposure to oil or gold as a thematic because you think inflation hedge or energy prices, sure. But like the majority of people, at least, don't say that they're top-down investors. No, they no. say they're bottom-up. They yeah. want to invest in quality. They're looking for long-term compounders. Like they're the buzzwords that yeah. most professional investors talk about and then most you know people like us who are trying to learn about investing do as well Mm. and like I would say that if we hear a professional investor say they're looking for high quality businesses long-term compounders and then spend 80% of their time writing letters about inflation outlook and oil prices I would say where are you allocating your time as a researcher yeah yeah you're confused yeah yeah Let's move on to a, another what the moment where we think we've found the world's worst investor. Yes. It's a tagline that we don't throw out 
lightheartedly. Well, we it is incredibly lighthearted. Well, yeah, it's not one that we are. Uh, yeah, it is incredibly lighthearted. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't heard of him, his name is Masayoshi Son. He has a net worth of twenty one point two billion dollars. And the reason we include that is if the world's worst investor can build a. $21 billion fortune, <laughs> then anyone can. Anyone can, <laughs> yes. Masayoshi-san, if you're listening, A, we'd love to have you on the show. B, don't take this seriously. But And to be clear, he is an incredible entrepreneur. Yes. He incredible business builder. Runs um, the telecom over in Japan and global investing giant SoftBank mm-hmm. is uh, how he's made his fortune. Yeah. So and he built a great business. He just sucks at investing. <laughs> <laughs> he's been, uh, he's raised billions and billions of dollars the fir- to invest. The first vision fund was $100 billion. $100 billion, The yeah. next, the second vision fund uh, is $60 billion. And in both of those funds, there have been some notable investments. But the reason we're talking about him today is because he has been absolutely burnt on an investment he made last year. Yes. Uh, it came to light that his investment in Klarna, a buy now, pay later giant over in the States, has just raised some cash. So let's have a look at the story. This last year in 2021, SoftBank uh, or Masayoshi-san invested in Klarna at a $45.6 billion valuation, incredible valuation for Klarna. This year, 2022, Sequoia, Another uh, VC firm led around at six point five billion dollars. So that's a down, a drawdown or a drop in value of eighty six percent in twelve months. In a year, yeah, yeah, in twelve months. So SoftBank got in at the forty five point six, and they're now worth just six point five. Bit of a side note on Sequoia, though. Yeah, Ren. bit of a side note. So uh, Klarna um, has been backed for an, a long time by the American VC fund Sequoia. And I think we talk about being disciplined in prices. The first 10 minutes of this episode has been me ranting about macro and micro and being uh, price-focused and the opportunities. Sequoia in 2014 led a round for Klarna at a $1.4 billion valuation. In 2019, they invested again at a $3.5 billion valuation. Then this is where the discipline came in. They sat out the twenty two rounds in twenty twenty one at a thirty one billion dollar valuation and a for, that forty five point six billion dollar valuation. And then in twenty twenty two, they've once again come back in and led the round at a six point five billion dollar valuation. So they got in at one point four, three point five, six point five, but they were disciplined enough to not do the thirty one and the forty five. Incredible. And and it's easy to say, well, in hindsight, of course, like that's obvious. But think about what 2020 and 2021 was for buy now, pay later. We all lived through it, especially if you're listening in Australia. Afterpay just went crazy. Zip went crazy. There were all that long tail of other companies that listed, the Sezzles and the Layby and all of those. Over in America, a firm was just smashing it, it listed. It was... Uh, one of the hottest stocks of the the last couple of years. Kleiner was killing it. Buy Now, Pay Later was taking the world by storm. And then right at the peak, Square acquires Afterpay and everyone thinks that the Buy Now, Pay Later business model has like well and truly arrived. That was the the top. Credit cards were (laughs) cowering in their boots. American Express was nowhere to be seen. And then all of the big guys, PayPal got in. And then- um, Apple now. 
well, yeah, Apple was talking about it. Now they're in it. Um, All the banks. Think about being Sequoia in that moment, having fostered this company from literally from the ground up and then in the peak of it all, seeing other venture capitalists like SoftBank take your opportunity and take percentages of the company that you could have had and diluting you, the discipline to say no, we're right, and the world is wrong it is just incredibly impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe SoftBank's a leading indicator of when, <laughs> <laughs> of when not to get in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so, you're right. Incredible um, incredible investing discipline and it's paid – well, it, at this stage it looks like it's paid dividends. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, some other instances where uh, SoftBank have unfortunately been on the wrong side of, um, of the deal. So WeWork is probably their most notable. Um, if you haven't seen uh, the WeWork, We Crashed. Uh, it's uh, on Amazon Prime, I think, or one of the streaming services. Check it out. It um, nods to how this all played out. But in 2019, SoftBank invested in WeWork at a $47 billion valuation. And in 2020, uh, that valuation was cut to just $2.9 billion. So they lost 94% in a year. Again, Uber, they invested at a $70 billion valuation. Current market cap is just above $40 billion. So again, they're down 40% on that one. And Ren Wag. Yeah, this is, my, uh, <laughs> this is I think, the funniest. Uh, Wag, if you haven't heard of it, is a dog walking app, like um, a two-sided marketplace for dog walkers, connecting those with dogs with those that can walk your dog for you. Yeah. Um, they SoftBank invested $300 million in this uh, at a $650 million valuation. WAG announced, I think, late last year that it's going public via a SPAC at a $350 million valuation. So, uh, again, down over 40%, almost 50% on that investment. So, one, two, three, four rather large investments all down well and truly above sort of 40, 50%. Poor uh, Masayoshi son. I'm sure he's got some some um, successful ones in there. We've just pulled this oh, out. I mean, look, the- no, there's there's heaps more unsuccessful ones. There was, there's like, uh, he tried to invest in a company that made a robot that made your pizza as it was delivering oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but I figured we shouldn't spend the whole episode no, talking about no, no. these companies and maybe talk about some companies where the prospects are a little <laughs> bit brighter. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's a fascinating story. Um, definitely look him up and the work of SoftBank if you if you haven't already. But yeah, a bit of a what the moment. Uh, poor Masayoshi-san. To, I guess, maybe to give him some, I guess, support, trying to deploy over $200 billion in funds. Very difficult, but um, that's no excuse. I could do it. Yeah, yeah. We could, we could all do it. Yeah, <laughs> successfully. I don't. I I don't feel sorry for him. <laughs> yeah, me either. Me either. All right, I, Ren. You just buy ten percent of Apple and you call it a day. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> well, Ren. Uh, after the break, we're going to have a look at some of the streaming stocks, and then also have a chat about Australia's ultimate inflation hedge and if it's broken. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. 
Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Ren, streaming stocks. We've got Disney. We've got Netflix. Things are changing. Yeah, well, the the headline is Disney is about to take out its March 2020 COVID lows. Yeah. And in 2020, in March 2020, when... The, the stock market crashed 30% in a month or something like that. Disney hit $86. Since then, it's had a pretty strong couple of years. It reached as high as or basically reached $200, so more than doubled from its COVID lows. But it's given it all back. Yeah. Market giveth and the market taketh away. Uh, it's in the mid-90s now. Um, so it's fallen over 50% and it might be about to break the low in March 2020, which for me, is astounding because what's happened since then? Disney Plus has become... Massive. Massive. Mm. Uh, Parks it, are open. Yeah. Well, Disney, so Disney Plus launched in November 2019. It's now got 140 million subscribers and, I don't know, probably will cross Netflix in the next year. Really? That's the call? Well, what, Netflix is 220? 220. Yeah. 220, maybe more if they can sort out the whole 100 million households streaming it without an account. Well, let's talk about Netflix in a sec because I got some thoughts. Um, okay. But if they cross Netflix next year or the year after, like still, it's it's an incredible like new asset that they've built in that time. Yeah, as you said, parks reopened. I imagine cruises are back online. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy to me that the the value the market is assigning to Disney compared to where the situation it was in in March 2020. Sorry, and the other thing to keep in mind in March 2020 is all the cinemas were shut down as well yeah. and Disney Plus wasn't a thing. Yeah. What's going on? Well, I don't have an answer, but I just think like this is a this is an example of like if you believed in Disney in March 2020, surely you believe in Disney now. Yeah, I agree with you. I I used to love Disney. I still do. Magical place. <laughs> um, very magical place. I reckon it's an inflation issue. I reckon if you if you're going to bucket consumer business, spending yeah, slow and yeah, if yeah. you bucket businesses that are going to be impacted by inflation, consumer spending, this is one that you're probably going to say people aren't going to be going to Disney parks. Yeah, yeah. Like Disney World will be the first casualty on. The holiday itinerary. Yeah. That was a confusing way of yeah, phrasing that. Yeah. People will substitute Staycations down to cheaper or, holidays. Yeah, yeah. 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 But then you go the other end of the spectrum and then people don't can't go to Disneyland or World anymore or can't go on the Disney cruise. So they do a cheaper holiday. That doesn't change the fact that their kid still loves Disney and they're probably watching no, no, the no, same no. Disney movies yeah. on Disney. Well Plus. this goes to the this goes to the um the, what we spoke about at the top of the show. If you've got that sort of long term conviction yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, there's plenty of companies out there. I, um, I did have in notes to chat about Airbnb, but you can argue the same with Airbnb at the moment. They are pumping out results better than pre-COVID levels. Really? Yeah. They're like they're book. They get. They're taking on more bookings for the first time ever. They posted a hundred 
million bookings in a quarter. That's more than pre-COVID. Revenue, they're, they're even on track to be profitable this year, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it is so funny. Like, you just say that in isolation, just like the admiration that a company is on track to be profitable. Like, that's think about investing that. think in about- 2022. <laughs> think about how unprofitable they were, though. Um, yeah. And yeah. like, so if you, if you have a look at the fundamentals of Airbnb at the moment. It's the, cha- the challenge I have with Airbnb, two challenges I have with Airbnb. I know we're just going on a tangent, but let's just go with it. First of all, have you noticed on Twitter the amount of people complaining about Airbnb? No. Like poor support, all of that. No. And in Airbnb's history, it used to be, the saying used to be that uh, poor support is a feature, not a bug for Airbnb. Like de- they're deliberately... Sh- shit at supporting their hosts and uh, supporting their customers. Okay. But uh, maybe it's just my Twitter algorithm, but um yeah, a lot of a lot of people complaining. But the other thing is apparently prices now hotels are cheaper than Airbnbs. Yeah. 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 But I think Airbnb are slightly changing the way that they're pitching themselves now. Yeah, it's funny. I still would prefer to stay in an Airbnb than a hotel even if I had to pay more just because I think it's a better experience. But I, I don't know if I'm the outlier. Like, I don't, I don't know what the general customer would do. Yeah, well, the, they're changing their search function very soon to show you places that you'd never have thought about staying in before. That's going to be like the that's going to be like the lead. What like look, um, different? Look, is that the whole like I'm flexible thing where it's like that's what they started last year? I think yeah. when we were talking about in the summer series, they were going to do this. I'm flexible. No, this is more like where they're changing their search function and algorithm to. Uh, show you more opportunity and and I maybe try and premiumize it a little bit more is where I'm getting what what sense I'm getting from okay. it. not just your classic like I need a two betty for the weekend vibe but I f- okay yeah yeah. I, yeah right I'd be really interested to know what percentage of people are on Airbnb because they're just like I have a weekend yeah, and yeah, I would like to go great. away and what percentage of people are like I'm going to Melbourne yeah. for the weekend and I need, I need a, a place, place. Yeah. yeah but I guess they can cater to both they definitely can. All right, let's anyway. get back to let's get <laughs> anyway. back to streaming. Yeah. <laughs> so Netflix. Uh, yeah. So Netflix. Um, I want to talk about their whole advertising thing and recount a conversation I had with Rowie, uh, my housemate, previous uh, superstar JSI guest, um, and I want to get your thoughts on it. So for context, Netflix is down seventy three percent. It's lost almost three quarters of its value from November twenty twenty one. Brutal. Mm-hmm. It's back below $100 billion market cap. Yeah. To think it was once Plus lumped... sunk by the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> to think it was once lumped in with all those companies that are trillion-dollar companies. Well, to think that it... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the notable investors we've had on this show said that it would be a trillion-dollar company. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's keep going. <laughs> uh, so 222 million subscribers, as we spoke about before... The whole advertising thing. Have you been following this? How Netflix are going to introduce ads? Mm-hmm. So Rowie was just saying how terrible it's going to be, and I, I feel like that's the the prevailing feeling at the moment that Netflix putting on ads is just stepping backwards. It's going back ten years. I actually think it's a really positive development, and I want to defend Netflix a little bit. I don't own the stock. I don't own the company, uh, and this is I'm not buying it on the back of this, but. The starting point, Netflix, 220 million subscribers. Call it with password sharing with accounts where you have up to, you know, X number of accounts. Call it maybe a billion people watching it. 
Do you think that's a fair assumption? You mean like if you're saying households have multiple people? Saying that like I have a profile on my parents' account um, and so do my sisters. So, you know, there's like five people to one subscription there. So two Yeah, they say there's at least a million, an extra hundred million households that are using it without a, a subscription. Okay. So like 350 call it accounts or households and then within those households, two or three people. Okay. So, so yeah. go with my billion? Maybe that's pr- that's probably on the upper end, but yeah, okay. for the purposes of this, sure. Okay. <laughs> and I, I guess the question is for Netflix, how do they get the next billion? And I think what a lot of these American uh, subscription-based companies are realising or, or European subscription-based companies um, is that becoming truly global means they need to change their pricing structure. And the example here is Spotify. They have 400... 20 million users and about 180 million paid users. But what they are finding is that in, especially in Asia where there's just such growth opportunity, their pricing just isn't competitive. And so then the free platform is a great option because they make their money from advertising, they get people on the platform and then they can be a lot more global. Mm. And for Netflix like as a percentage of income, even when they reduce the price in a lot of these countries like India and stuff like that, they're struggling to get good subscription numbers. Mm. An advertiser supporter platform allows them to get into those markets mm. and become truly global. Mm. And we think about like the, all these global shows that have taken the world by storm, you know, Money Heist that was made, I think, for a Spanish or a Mexican audience, taking the world by storm. Lupin was made for a local French audience, taking the world by storm. Squid Games made for a Korean audience, taking the world by storm. Two more seasons signed. Really? Yeah. These are all shows that Netflix made for local markets but became global phenoms. Mm. But they weren't really global phenoms because the majority of the world still aren't, isn't watching Netflix. Yeah, yeah. No, There's no truly global streaming provider at the moment. And I feel like that's how they, Netflix is trying to set themselves up with advertising, to get the next billion and to create the shows that have global resonance. Yeah, That's sort of, I guess, why I'm pretty sanguine about the whole advertising move. I also don't understand why people are complaining about it. Like you're going to have the choice, as I understand it, to either pay for for it and not have ads mm. or not pay for it or have a very reduced subscription I think, fee. I think and get people ads. I think the concern is that Netflix will take the opportunity to say your current subscription, you get everything, but you get some ads. And then there's a free version where there's no where there's heaps of ads. But if you want no ads, you gotta pay more. I reckon Netflix will take the opportunity to jack the price up. At, at the end of the day, my th- my my thing's this. Are you watching it because it doesn't have ads or are you watching it because you have heaps of choice? And like at the end of the, like I, I feel like I'd be willing to cop a couple of ads because I can watch whatever I want whenever I want. Free TV, you don't have a choice of what you get to watch. You just get what's available yeah. at that time yeah. and you and you have to watch some ads, sure. I think the convenience and luxury of still being able to choose what you want to watch when you want to watch it, copying a couple well, of ads. Yeah. Well, I think like YouTube is a classic example of that. I don't pay for YouTube premium, but I pump YouTube. Yeah. And like the ads are annoying, but it's just like it's cost of doing business. Yeah, I do pay for YouTube. My time isn't that valuable. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I, wait, you do pay for YouTube? Yeah. I was actually thinking Doesn't about that this Doesn't that just video. contradict everything you just said? I guess so. But like, um, 
I don't know. The the reason I actually started paying for it was for music because I hated having ads in music. True. And also YouTube, um, you, if you lock your phone, yeah, yeah. it cuts it off. But if you yeah. pay for it, you it lock it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was a music-led thing. And now what I'm actually finding, I was thinking about this the other day, it's actually my number one watch time now. yeah youtube is easily the best yeah platform it's it's just like i could just sack everything else yeah. like what i'm finding on there like the platform it is for creators to just create amazing stuff yeah, and yeah. you're just like wow this is yeah. epic anyway yeah like the inbuilt monetization engine that they've built compared to yeah like the the whole the business is phenomenal yeah that they they reckon that if youtube was split out from google it would be worth about and this was, I think, pre this recent market crash. But I think the number they were throwing around was about $270 billion value. Wow. Probably would have fallen if Disney's fallen 50% and Netflix has fallen 70%. That value will have fallen as well. But it's just incredible that Google bought it for $1, One billion. billion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they have just built another unbelievable business. Masayoshi should take a, a f- trick or two from the guys over at... Uh over at Google. Google. Yeah. Oh, I think we all could probably <laughs> yeah, do <true>. that, bro. <laughs> so anyway, I just want to close out the thought on Netflix because I just spent a lot of time giving the positive case. And as I said, I don't have a position and I'm not making an investment case here. This is just me spe- speculating about the business. But I think the other challenge is that they're not the only ones who are trying to be the first truly global streaming service. Disney have an advantage here. Because people often forget the massive conglomerate of brands that Disney have under them, but Disney have massive presence in India. They, I think up until recently, I think they lost the rights, but they own the rights to Indian cricket, like the IPL and stuff like that. Like they are entrenched in Indian content production Mm. and that's where a lot of these battle lines are being drawn. Um, So I think if Netflix doesn't do it, Disney is going to have a red hot crack at doing it. You know, when we think about these streaming services, sure, they're getting smashed at the moment, but they're probably the two in the driver's seat to be truly global. Mm. And we haven't seen that in video content before, Mm. except for YouTube, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But even then, yeah. Watch this space. Watch this space. Yeah. Yeah. Watch more content. I back Disney. Do you? No, no, that's not advice or anything. That's just. You just back him. I just back him. Mag- they're a magical place. Should we put say. a bet on? I'll back no. Netflix. First to a billion subscribers gets a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think a billion subscribers. Yeah. I don't. Th- is that? Look, that's that's so much. That's so much growth. Yeah. That's why I'm pretty confident making this bet. We won't be doing this. <laughs> anyway, podcast. let's get moving. <laughs> Australia's ultimate inflation hedge has broken. No, it's not gold. No, it's not Bitcoin. It is Domino's Pizza. Yeah, and the joke uh, really starts in the US here because the ultimate inflation hedge around the world comes out of the US, something that has held its value better than any other asset, a Costco hot dog. Yes. Have you had one? Nah. I have. They're pretty good. Are they? Yeah. Good onion. Yeah. Pretty good. Uh, <laughs> price for a hot dog and drink at Costco is a dollar fifty, and it has been that way since I think nineteen eighty eight. Hasn't changed since the eighties. Year 80s. after year. Year after year yeah. after year. Input costs rise. Labor costs rise. Electricity costs rise. But Costco have kept that dollar fifty hot dog and drink. Good on them. And we were joking that the closest thing to a Costco hot dog 
uh, in Australia is a Domino's $5 value pizza. That's it. That has held its value for, I don't know how long they've had a $5 range, but it feels like a long time. Well, since uni days for me, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I clearly remember them there. Uh, but yeah, the Domino's. Who would have thought when you were at uni scamming the Domino's for free pizzas that one Let's day that you would interview Don May, the CEO, and tell him that you used to scam <laughs> him for free pizzas. <laughs> What a journey. (laughs) But that's right. Domino's are now facing cost pressures around the $5 range under a lot of heat. But so far, the $5 value range has stuck where it is, but they've added a 6% delivery surcharge. Yes, to deal with cost pressures. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I, I think this is just an example that across the economy, inflation is hitting everyone's cost lines. And if we go full circle from where I started this episode, this is where it matters. Mm. When you're thinking about, you know, the the value of some of these companies, like Domino's profit is going to be squeezed yeah, because of these cost pressures and because they're playing a category where it's hard to raise prices. Does that change the ultimate business trajectory of Domino's long-term? Arguable, probably not. Like probably in 2040... Domino's won't be in that much a different position because inflation is 6% rather than if inflation had been 2%. Mm. But it matters. It matters in the short term. The ultimate inflation hedge has broken, but Domino's is down almost 60%. Yeah. And so my question for you, Bryce, is how is Domino's less worth half as much as it was worth nine months ago? The price has gone down. <laughs> <laughs> Was the valuation it was nine months ago a true, a, a, an appropriate valuation? What was it valued at nine months ago? So it's about it's about six and a half billion dollars now. So call it thirteen. Then um, it trades at a thirty six price earnings now. So it was it was Expensive. hot, yeah. But it wasn't a unprofitable tech stock. You know, this is a pizza shop, pizza franchise. Yeah. Discretion, discretionary spending pizza franchise. Yeah. <laughs> is it half as valuable as it was nine months ago? There's arguments that you could say it's definitely not as valuable. 50% drawdown. I mean, we're seeing that across the board. So you could ask the same question for a lot of companies. Yeah, you could. Yeah. But I think uh, to put a bow on this episode, we're not going to answer that question. No. One, we don't know. And two, we can't. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Thanks, Asik. <I see. laughs> <laughs> To go but full circle, this is where I want to spend my time. I want to spend my time as an investor answering that question or answering the Netflix v. Disney question or probably not spending a lot of time thinking about Masayoshi. But um, I think that's what's really exciting me as an investor and I've got sucked into the mac- too much macro thinking. Yeah, don't. I don't think you need to be net and down and out about it though. It's not. It's it's worth. No. Uh, it's worth understanding. No, I don't. You don't want to be down and out about it. But think about us in about halfway through twenty twenty one, chatting about how we how much opportunity there was in March twenty twenty, and how we wish we had deployed more cash into some of those opportunities in March twenty twenty. Don't be that person again. <laughs> Don't get me <laughs> Take wrong. Take the opportunity T- talking now. About, talking about oil prices doesn't mean that I'm not investing in anything. What are you invested in? We'll have to take this. <laughs> we'll have to take this offline. Yeah. No. Obviously. You know what obviously. I mean. Like, yeah. 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 I think it's yeah. just it's it's important to um it's imp- definitely important to understand I think yeah what's going on yeah yeah West Texas crude closing at ninety nine fifty a barrel whatever. 
<laughs> Next question. <laughs> All yeah, right, yeah. we'll um we'll leave it there. It's been great to <laughs> chat stocks. If you can please rate and review this episode, uh, pass it on to a friend, uh, recommend it to your colleagues. That would be much appreciated. It'd uh, it's always great to get new people on the journey of investing with us. Thank you for the support as always. Don't forget to buy your FinFest ticket, equitymates.com slash FinFest. And if you do care about all this macro stuff, we do have a business news channel mm-hmm. and podcast, The Dive, where we'll be talking about that a little bit more, not in an investing sense, but just in a keeping up to date with what's going on in the world sense. Thedive.businessnews is the handle on Instagram. The Dive podcast in your preferred podcast feed. That's it. A lot of fun. Yeah, check it out. All right, well, Ren, great to chat stocks as always. We'll pick it up next week. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equitymates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.